0: Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I are continuing our COVID-19 online learning experience for our students at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Uh, this session is going to be Theology 312, the Theology of Christian Worship. And we've gotten to the point in the semester where we kind of kind of have a hodgepodge of stuff, like just, just briefly going through... Um, some of the stuff, uh, what we call occasional services, and so they're not occasional necessarily that we just do them occasionally. They're occasional in the sense that um, they are to the occasion. So uh, a wedding, we're going to talk about today, a funeral, a confirmation, maybe even an ordination. We're just going to talk about those highlights. Uh, we're not going to. We're not going to go through all the, 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 the liturgies and the orders of service uh, that would take forever and I, I think it would bore everybody to tears but we'll, we'll talk about a few of those things and so this will be a, a shorter episode I wanted to save a lot of time for um, the occasional service of baptism because I think that's the most meaningful and, and, and the funnest uh, the, it's the more fun to fun. talk about that the most fun it's funnest. the most fun uh, to talk about and so I have a uh, Two episodes for that of a podcast we actually did a couple years ago that I couldn't say it any better than than the work that I did previously. So I'm going to give you the links to those. So this is kind of our hodgepodge one funerals, weddings and confirmations. Um, This is going to sound uh, really awful. Um, but uh, most I'm excited people, I like when you but, say but things that sound. You've awful. heard this before, you've said it before, you've certainly thought it before. That most Lutheran pastors would rather do a funeral than a wedding. And that I never got a complaint terrible. from
1: anyone I did a funeral for. <laughs>
0: um, one of it's practical that um, sometimes you just have to uh, fight for to shoehorn a little Jesus into this special day <coughs> called a wedding. And uh, you wonder why some people are even having it at a church because it's more about them and, and they don't really care about Jesus. I'm being a little cynical here. But it's really a great privilege to usher somebody into heaven and to, and to comfort the family there. Um, it's just a wonderful thing. You're exactly right. I never had a complaint about a funeral, though. You could tell some, at, at first they kind of want a memorial service, but once you explain that there's a difference between A mere memory service and a proclamation of the resurrection of the dead people get that Um, but weddings are uh, can be let's say herding cats and uh, so many of you are that are listening uh, college students you know you you may be getting married in the near future you know in the next five ten years please have mercy on the soul of the pastor there um, he he is delighted to do this and he wants to preach the gospel to you and so I know you have I know many of you have dreams of weddings and uh, the last uh, piece of the the wedding puzzle is uh, some guy <laughs> and then um, the the preacher is just some sort of a side character in this uh, uh, fairy book, uh, fairy book tale um, but I think if you approach it as, this is something for for me, the, the, the preaching of the gospel on this special occasion. I, I think a lot of your stress will go away, right? I mean, it's, it can be a very stress, stressful situation that everything goes right and everybody looks good and all that kind of stuff. So let's start with weddings. I, I very early began to, in fact, I think right away, I don't think I ever used any order of service other than the one that Luther offers up in the Book of Concord, um, in his his wedding service and with some tweaks, of course. And and so if you if you follow Luther's order of service is very simple and elegant. I think um, it actually would have taken place at the back of the church, the wedding ceremony, and then uh, the 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 bridal party would have marched up, and they would have had what we would call a full mass, a regular. Uh, a service that that would have occurred there and uh what was kind of unique about it is um the the first part of the service and this is kind of usually flip-flop um to most weddings today is you got the wedding right out of the way you had the the vows uh very elegant speech that that he wrote the classic vows he didn't make them up uh, an exchanging of rings a blessing of rings and then the pronouncement of marriage and the beautiful one what what uh God is put together, let no man put asunder, let no man separate, and just beautiful, beautiful and simple, uh, elegant words, and so, uh, when I would do a wedding, if, I gave a lot of leeway to the, to the family, of course, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but after explaining the wedding service, usually people would do it this way, that, they would march in, beautiful thing, and then as the as the uh, music died down and everybody's in their place up front, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and a, a beautiful thing. And then there would be a, a little paragraph that's talked about the, the, the holiest state of marriage, very Lutheran terms, and why God has set this up. And then who wants, uh, who is giving this uh, woman to be married to this man? You know, the parents or maybe just traditionally the man, the father of the bride would stand up and say, I do. And then we would have the exchanging of vows and then the blessing of the rings and and the exchanging of rings and then then a prayer. And then we would be done with the wedding. And uh, we would have some uh, either uh, some cover music there. Usually there would be like a, uh, a lighting of the unity candle, or we would pour sand in together. Whatever, uh, the, beautiful picture of two becoming one flesh. And then uh, I didn't. It was up to the to to the bride, but often uh, the bride really liked this idea that the wedding party would sit down because now there's going to be a preaching of the word, and instead of uh, instead of the preacher just preaching to two people like without social distance, right? You're like two feet away, hoping you don't spit on them, you know, um, that you would be preaching to the whole group. And, and I had a lot of people say, you know, really appreciated that you preach to the whole people and not just to the, and then after that, there would be, uh, maybe we would put the unity candle at this part, there's some music, and then just the bride and groom would come up and then for a final prayer and perhaps they would kneel and a blessing upon them. And so it was just this tomb. It was very elegant and beautiful. Um, so I think that the, the major things about a wedding though is going to be the vows. And I really, really, and, and this is the one place where I disallowed this, by the way, there would be reading and preaching there. And Luther puts together, um, kind of his own reading where he strings together Genesis two Proverbs 18, I think, um, and a little bit of Ephesians, I added a little bit more to, to the Ephesians. And he says, he strings them together and he says, this is why, uh, he, he kind of gives his own explanation through this. And so it's not reading one, reading two, reading three, but, uh, kind of one long reading. And then, and then that would be the place for, for a homily after that. Um, but the vows back to the vows are important. And I, and I, this is the kind of one of the two or three things I insisted upon that, we weren't going to do made up vows. If you want to do made up vows, do that at the reception. And the reason for that is I would say, and this is of course in the context of premarital counseling. So I've already built a relationship with them and, and have explained things about, uh, about marriage. I would say you would never promise this, right? You would never promise to be, Christ to your bride and you would never promise to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. And the whole point is that you're being elevated to something divine, right? You're, 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 you're being elevated to something far beyond you. It's not like God said, Oh, I think these people like to do this marriage thing down there. So I'm going to write the Bible with this theme that I'm the groom and they're the people it's the other way around. Right? And so if you're going to be lifted to a higher estate, to a divine estate, it makes sense that you would make the promises that, that God wants you to make and not something that's, let's say, a little cheap and corny, right? And so it is an estate that you're being entered into. It's not just a, let's say, a business obligation. It's not just a contract here. But it is being elevated into a higher estate. We could go on for that. And usually in the class I kind of do a little premarital pre premarital counseling for the for, for the uh for the group, but we'll we'll have to skip that in our in our podcast sessions there. Any any stories from weddings? Anything you want to add? Wisdom? No, overall weddings? mine were
1: were pretty good. But I I would just say, you know, um the the point of the of the marriage in the church is for that marriage to be rooted in, in Christ and, and for you to be able to say to your families and those there, um, that this is the rock, the foundation of your marriage. And so I think uh, it's a wonderful time for you to work with your pastor in a way that you maybe often don't get to, to be involved in choosing readings (coughs) and choosing hymns, um, that are, you know, preachments of what real love is in Christ. Um, of where we have, uh, you know, this foundation of grace and mercy for marriage, um, as you go forward into it, and so it can be a really wonderful time for a pastor and a couple to be spending together. And then I would just say to parents of the bride and the groom, it's not your wedding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and they, they will. Uh, Even um, if you're paying for it. Yeah, the, each will the man and woman will leave family and and cleave to one another, and so to. Uh, you know, respect the decisions that they're making, especially when those decisions are, are Christian decisions. And then, just finally, please don't make your pastor preach on First Corinthians thirteen.
0: <laughs> I can, you can do it, but boy, it probably has. He's speech. done it a lot. And and a lot. I really like the wedding at Canaan, yeah, not yeah. because oh Jesus went to a wedding and we're at a wedding, but the beautiful picture of the groom getting credit for his failures. Right, he is supposed to have <clears> enough wine there, and he's either too cheap or too clueless to have enough wine there and, and, and Mary makes Jesus, uh, save the day. And at first, uh, (coughs) the groom gets credit. And, uh, so I often, my prayer marital counseling, including John would, would include John too. And I would say, look at the man and say, listen, here's the deal. You bring your, you're going to promise to be Christ to her, right? I'm going to make you promise to be Christ to her. You can't save her from her sin. Can't save her from death and hell. So you swallow your pride and bring her to the groom who can, right? And then the picture of Jesus doing what we cannot do, he bails us out. He is righteous when we are unrighteous. Pretty beautiful picture. All right, let's quick do confirmations and ordinations. So confirmations and ordinations are actually kind of similar because they both involve vows. And uh, this is where I usually go off, and I'm I'm not going to do that because this is going to be in public domain, but uh, confirmation practices kind of bug me a little bit. and the reason for that is it's kind of antiquated in a bad way where we you know that the age of when somebody is confirmed um, you know is based off on an agricultural society of Europe in the 1700s and not um, the way we do education in America um, so eighth grade that's kind of when you're done with school you need to go work out on the farm uh, <coughs> those of you who continue the, uh, the the practice of getting confirmed on Having confirmation on Palm Sunday had to do with the old, uh, the old, uh, wisdom that you had to have the potatoes in by Good Friday, you know, like maybe passion and Palm Sunday can be its own thing. Right. Um, so, uh, some of those things, the other thing that bothers me a little bit is the connection with Holy Communion as if this was just a prerequisite for Holy Communion. When the truth of the matter is confirmation probably had more to do with the vow, Right. Um, that this was, you were saying, I'm going to, I'm, I believe this so much so that I'm willing to die for it. And so uh, I tried to treat the vow as more important that you're making a vow here. Um, and, and, and you're making a promise to God and how big of a deal that was, especially in the old Testament, we don't, we make promises all the time and nobody expects us to, to keep them, but that would have been a big, big, big deal in the ancient world, just in general, but specifically you know, you think about like in Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and uh, God talking about how important it is to to take... I mean, there's like details about vows. Like, a, you know, if a daughter makes a vow hastily and the, and the father doesn't agree with that vow, he can, you know, he can void that vow. But if he doesn't say anything, then she's bound to it, all this kind of stuff. So when you take a vow, uh, it's an important thing. And of course, in confirmation, it is, you're taking a vow with God's help that you you have been given this faith and that He is going to he's, it's going to be all right, right? He's gonna He's gonna keep you in the true faith, and so our confirmation I think is much more about the vow instead of a prerequisite to Holy Communion. Holy Communion is a gift from God, and it's not something that we earn. Um, I don't know if we need to go into all the different practices of confirmation. They're kind of they're all nice. They're fairly arbitrary, though. So I don't know if you want to add anything to that, uh, uh, um, Wade. Um, uh, in in our church, um, you know, the, uh, a passage was given to the to the confirmand or that they would pick, which was a good practice. They would think about, they would think about a verse. Um, I would have to give them a list of verses to choose from, because you know there would always be some guy who would you know pick Jesus wept or something right. like that, right? Um, <clears throat> Um, Those are all good practices. I very much got away from right away. This is something I did right away and and didn't get too much blowback. Thankfully, this is probably too, too gutsy of me, but um, got rid of the graduation vows, the graduation gowns. Um, Hey, you're going to spend a lot of money on a nice dress or suit, right? Might as well have everybody see it first of all, but also didn't wasn't really fond of the, I tried to get away from the graduation idea. Like, Oh, you graduated. Yay. Good for you. Here's your prize, which is a, a party some money and you get to have Jesus body and blood, but that this was much more of a beginning, a sacred vow that you were taking. Um, I, my opinion is that uh first communion should be celebrated and should be separated from confirmation, but that's a topic for a different time. Um, uh, you know I, I want them to have the full range of of God's gospel uh, and this means of grace as soon as is uh, as soon as is right you know according to the parents and the pastor and and the local practices uh, I think it would be better to separate those two because the confirmation could be seen as its own thing it, it it's a beautiful thing on its own it is by the way something that is not um, you know, commanded in the Bible, you're supposed to teach children, you're supposed to take, you know, make, make, make a (coughs) confession. Um, And that's probably a better way to think about it, make it make a confession. But there's no confirmation right, necessarily, that we find in the Bible, like we do with baptism and Holy Communion and stuff like that. So uh, in, in the Roman Catholic Church, confirmation is considered a sacrament, and we won't argue about the definition of sacrament there. But there is Maybe a, a, should be more of an emphasis on the confession, and this is the Christian life and the vow, uh, rather than this is a rite of passage in the sacramental life in the Roman Catholic Church or a rite of passage within the the Lutheran Church um, and, and its history. So, I'll give you any. I'll give you as much time as you want in confirmation, or we can move on to ordination. No,
1: I won't say too much. I, I would say I have my own um, thoughts on how we we currently do things with confirmation. I know when I came into Lutheranism, um, from outside of it, the whole examination thing was really weird to me. Oh, I got it. Um, and, uh, I think there's elements, you know, well, I studied Matthias Flacius a lot and he (coughs) himself was not a big fan of confirmation (coughs) as a thing, but, um, yeah, sometimes there's a little bit of like an element of rationalism in there of like you demonstrate you know all the right things and then you're confirmed. And I think that can sometimes feed into um, people's view of like you get done with catechism class and then you're kind of done learning. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> rather than that instruction being preparing you for a lifetime of learning uh, in the Word. And so um, I think that's something we could maybe approach a little bit differently. And I, I know there are people who are approaching it very well and that's not to diminish um that there isn't something wonderful about wanting to make sure that our children aren't well catechized it's Um, one of those
0: traditions that you're glad's there (laughs) even though probably we could probably be better be to tweak it's one of those really good i mean like i mean we both had people who you know were not very faithful going to church but their kids were going to get confirmed right you know you don't want to undermine that um I was found it strange because, you know, originally this whole idea of examination was the, the, the father specifically, but the parents would teach the kids and they would be, this was
1: the pastor's way of knowing that they
0: they would be examined by the pastor to make sure that they got the job done. Now the pastor does the, does the teaching. And then I don't know, are we proving to the parents that they're, you know, it's like, like I'm going to sit this kid up there and I cross my fingers. Oh, I hope he passes. Right. Like, what pastor is going to send up somebody who's not quite sure if he has faith, right? It just becomes kind of this ridiculous sort of uh, going through the motions. Isn't that cute? Our little Johnny does this. Um, and, and so I am, I rightfully cynical about it and there are some benefits of having a public examination. However, I think it's, it, it gets away from the original intended meaning and probably the, the best. And so this is kind of in the realm of uh, you know it's an offering so it is in the realm of. And
1: I mean, this is unique among a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about. Um, marriage is a public thing, whether it happened in the courthouse or whether it happened in the church. It is commanded that it be a public thing, so it makes sense that that we have mar- weddings in the church. Um, we uh, ordination is something that Jesus says to do. This laying out of hands—it's <coughs> not a sacrament, but it is this thing that. Well, the, we have New Testament precedent for, I should say, rather, as um,
0: it's a public <clears throat> thing because it's for the people, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and so I think, uh, and obviously funerals, <coughs> the person is dead. It, it makes sense to want to, uh, um, to preach to those who are mourning. Uh, confirmation is something that just develops later in the church. So it is, as you said, Mike. It is an adiaphron, and so in how we talk about it, understand, we're not saying this isn't a practice you should have or that's a bad practice or that things that are connected to it aren't necessarily bad. It's just one that um, it's different in that it's... uh, And even what it means to mark that transition in life when someone's becoming an adult in the eyes of the church, as Mike said, that changes over time in societally. If you would have gone back in most of history and said, you become an adult at 18... You would have had sixteen year olds with several kids mm-hmm. who had been working for years looking at you like what are you like what are you talking about Teenage what's a teenager yeah. and so that we recognize this is one that the church is more um free to tinker with with time um and that uh in some ways it sometimes becomes like a right that's trying to find its place or rationale um and so we you know the other thing I would like to see and I won't go into it, but is confirmation be more formation too, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the giving of knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, but being formation. And um, What does it look like to have a home altar? What does it look like to pray? Um, what are we doing in the liturgy? How does the liturgy shape our week? I think these are all things that could um, be very helpful uses. Or help. They could be good uses of, of the time that we allow for that.
0: And this formational training, it's a big topic in the evangelical world in the last... Decade or two, and I think Lutherans have something to offer about that, right? I mean, sign of the cross, praying the Catechism, uh, the baptismal certificate. We can make it a little bit more gospel and orient, gospel oriented and objective. Then I, I, I think, in uh, some of the work from the evangelicals is really good. It's it's kind of funny, like they're they know there's something missing. There's grasping on, okay, what's meditation mean? What does you know prayer life mean? What does all of the, what, how are we physically, uh, the, the questions of physicality as you know, I like to talk about and, and you go, well, there is a whole system of like this, right? That we, that we kind of threw out because some people screwed it up. And so I, I think Lutherans have something to say about that. And you're right. It has to do with one of those, one of the avenues of being able to teach that would be this catechesis situation. Okay. Let's do ordination real quick and then get to funeral. So ordination is, is similar because... Sometimes
1: ordination is kind of like a funeral.
0: Uh, you come back to that. Ordination is similar because it is it is about a vow, right? You're asking the pastor to publicly promise to fulfill his office and confess this <laughs> evangelical faith, right? Okay, so how is ordination like a funeral? It
1: was a joke, like a pastor joke, like, oh, man, <clears throat>
0: You know, ministry is hard. <laughs> you're dying to yourself to live for others. So, ordination, the color will be red. It has to do with the church. Um, you're going to have uh, local pastors come, and there's going to be the laying on of hands. Now, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, this is going to be very important because it is uh, about apostolic succession. So, the belief that, okay, Jesus, you know, uh, ordained Peter who ordained so-and-so who ordained so-and-so down to like Linus and all the way through until, until yeah. we get to your local pa- parish here. Now I, I like to say something that shouldn't be controversial but may sound it that Lutherans absolutely believe in apostolic succession if you mean that our teaching is based on the, uh, the apostles teaching right? that there is in effect an ordination saying this guy is all right this guy's confessed the truth. This guy's all right. You know, we're not talking about a like a magical line going from Jesus, and you got to follow it all through like a like a uh, somebody interested in ancestry would. That that's not the point. You don't get this magical kind of you know super or whatever. Um, but but that this guy is going to preach what Jesus preached. It's going to be based on the apostles preaching. And what the church has always uh, uh, taught but has screwed up over over the years. And so this laying on of the hands to symbolize this, uh, I think is very powerful and it's a big deal for a first time pastor. I mean, you know w- there's a few red letter dates in a pastor's life, right? July 3rd was when I was when I was ordained. Um, th- those are big events for for the pastor. Um, and for the congregation as well, that they finally got their guy and they're, and, and they're going to say this, this guy may not be the most talented or best looking guy, but he's going to baptize our babies and he's going to teach our kids. He's going to preach to us. He's going to, he's going to be there when we're sick. He's going to be the one who's going to bury our dead. Um, this is God's representative here in a, in a real way. This is the guy who's going to preach to us. (coughs) July 3rd. Yeah.
1: We were in on a Saturday.
0: I was a year later, remember?
1: Oh, that's right. I always forget that.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: you don't want to know when I was ordained
0: when you were ordained? Yeah. You, July 18th. How were you? You took it a couple extra weeks off there, huh? Well, you know, <laughs> when, when to live life. I was kind of like, so I need a job and a paycheck. So let's just hustle. Can we do this as quickly as we can? Yeah. Um, so, um, but a big day in a congregation's uh, a congregation's life, uh, the laying on of hands um, is is biblical thing. Um, something's going on there. It's not it's not a sacrament, but something's going on there, right? Uh, this is this is something that's special. It's it's kind of one of those tweener things, you know. Um, it's it's not it's not just something that just we just say oh the, it's like the anointing of the sick or whatever that's just what they did back then although I think maybe the anointing of sick should be maybe elevated a little bit more because of its connection to ba- symbol and baptism but um and yet it's not quite a sacrament um and so we practice that uh, rightfully so I think and the idea of pastors doing oh I forgot about one thing since we're talking about ordination here too um stoles think of stoles as um the scarf like thing that goes over the pastor's robe um they symbolize that there's there's a burden here this is a yoke but the yoke is light because you're christ's co-worker and uh but there there there's some heavy things you know you you do go go to bed at night worrying about your flock and 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 specific i mean you got a lot of people with a lot of troubles right and you worry about them you can't help but if you if uh, if you're a human being you can't help but do this and hopefully the pastors are compassionate people and so they're 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 carrying the burdens of their people it is a yoke but it is light because it's christ and so i was kind of against putting uh uh stoles on like choirs or stoles on the confirmands like it's not like Man, a,
1: you were just a kid well it's not mind.
0: like oh that's only for the pastor like i'm being a being a, a liturgical stick in the mud what i'm saying is if i used to
1: stand up front of church and like when people were jogging by
0: just throw them on the put it. a stole yeah. on them like just to say if you're going to use a symbol you might as well use it correctly right um so uh that's <coughs> my stick in the mud kind of opinion about that but that's where the stole symbol comes from and um it was just kind of something nice for the confirmands to wear because instead of just white gowns but Um, if you're, if you're letting the kids just show off their new dresses and suits anyway, that doesn't become a problem. So anyway, let's move to funerals. So, um, a funeral, just a few of the things we already in a previous lesson, I already talked about the Paul and the Paschal candle. So we'll, we'll get, uh, beyond that. But Wade, let me ask you this question. Memorial service or funeral. What's the difference and which one should we do? And memorial you're me a softball here right I'm not missing something no memorial service versus a funeral
1: yeah I mean the funeral is a has a different purpose than just being a memorial and so um, we do a, a Christian funeral we celebrate that our loved one is now uh, asleep in Christ and, and with the Lord and uh, yeah so I
0: well you, you just say I have more than a memory right like um, it's if, if you just have a memorial
1: mar- services like because sometimes i would have people who lost loved ones <clears throat> from the congregation and so i would go to show support and it be somewhere else and um, they're actually kind of depressing because uh, everything is past tense right yep. these are all the things and then you're trying to make the person um almost greater than what they were right you got to try to tell stories and mm-hmm. and uh and all of us who knew the person well we know that's not the whole story they were a sinner and a saint right and um, and so, I mean, a funeral service is present tense. This person is is dead, but also alive. Um, Christ is the uh, the God of the living, not of the dead. And so, um, they are alive in Christ. And it. I often had people who didn't even have Christian backgrounds who would have very positive comments mm-hmm. about um, Lutheran Christian funerals afterwards, because you're actually offering hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what's missing from. Uh, from just plain old memorial services. If,
0: if you're left with a memory and you're satisfied with that, that's the, that's a victory for the devil. Right. And so when we look at first Corinthians 15 and we see the way St. <coughs> Paul talks about death, he is, he is, he is very confident, uh, and, uh, kind of talks trash to the devil where, where, oh where, oh death is your victory, where oh death is your sting. And so To proudly say you're going to see this person again is something probably visitors to a church have never heard before, right? And so a funeral should not be a celebration of life. I always hated that celebration of life as if the life was over right we we have something that is so much better and so just like a wedding there's there's other avenues to do kind of your own thing in the in the reception at the at the a funeral there may be a wake there may be a meal afterwards there may be a party afterwards good that's great dance on the grave right um, and remember all the good things about this person but I got something better to say and my something better is death that you have no victory over this and so it's a very resurrection picture um uh, we talked about that also before this class. Done a lot of the symbolism, the flowers, and uh, you know how flowers at a funeral are not just well, let's see who, who remembered the family in their time of need, but a picture of uh, the resurrection of the dead. So there, there's a lot of cool things that are going there. What I actually appreciated about funerals too, not just, and we started off this session of saying every Lutheran pastor worth his salt rather does wants to do a funeral than a wedding. Um, there was some selfish things too, like, uh, you know, you get into the parish and, you know, for a good long time, maybe even, you know, even if you were there at that parish for 40 years, the first 20 years is you're going to be for the most part, burying dead people or old people. And, um, and uh who are dead you, who are dead yeah. you shouldn't
1: so bury them if they're not you're dead. only uh,
0: going to bury dead people do and bury, do not bury the not old dead people right? i'm thinking of uh a lot of us learn that monty the hard python, way <laughs> monty python right now where where uh the plague you know and yeah i'm not dead yet um but these are older people that you haven't seen them at their best and so usually it'd be like collage of pictures or a video of all these pictures when they were kids or whatever and it was quite a delight for me to go through especially if there was a husband or wife that was still alive but the children and I would always go right to their wedding picture if they were married because I figured that was when they looked their best right and uh, I had only seen them as old people right <laughs> and to see them in their youth and their children and to talk about their family and tell me a story about crazy uncle Frank or whatever and that was actually a very meaningful thing and I think. Uh, uh, you know, for a funeral for a pastor, it's it's you're gonna take a couple days off. You got to prepare. There's gonna be maybe a, a, a visitation service. You're gonna be with the family a lot, and then the funeral's pretty much a day long thing. And uh, just to kind of hang around and uh, talk to these people and talk about their loved one uh, was pretty meaningful thing. Is where you, you did some of your pastoral best pastoral work. So uh, it is a delight, and I hope that. <laughs> Next time you have to be found yourself in the sadness of uh, putting putting somebody in the ground. That you appreciate the comfort. Hopefully the pastor is going to give you comfort and not something cheesy. But uh, that you do appreciate this and you can you can cry, but you can also smile on those days. Not because oh what a great life that person led um, or they touched my life, but that you're going to see that person again, that Christian person. So ah funerals, yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, so, uh, we won't go through any, any of the rights. We kind of did all of that in, in other uh, sessions in this, uh, this class. So I think we'll leave it at that. And, uh, until the next time, let the bird fly.